Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make Him known. The New Testament lesson for today is from Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. This can be found on page 1185 of your Pew Bible. Once we receive the mercy and love of God in Jesus Christ, our Savior, we are empowered by the Spirit to extend God's grace and forgiveness to others. A reading from Titus chapter 3, beginning with the first verse. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. A month ago, as I was heading out the door on my way to church, slightly nervous about standing up here in this pulpit for the first time, my mom said, don't worry, interns are supposed to make mistakes. <laughs> as any perfectionist would, I resisted those words and went on my way. The following Sunday, I was asked to help serve communion, and I jumped at the chance. I've served communion back at my church in New Jersey several times, and there's just nothing like it. Nothing like meeting someone face to face, looking directly into his or her eyes, and offering the bread or the cup because it's just so much more than a piece of bread or a dip in the cup. It's the immeasurable riches of God's goodness, loving kindness, grace, and mercy, and I get to extend that to people. And as I open my eyes and my heart and my hands to give, I'm always so surprised by how much more I receive from those who step forward. Each one is a reflection and a vessel of God's goodness, loving kindness, mercy, and grace in his or her own unique way.
So anyway, I was really excited for all that, especially with it being in this new, wonderful church. And as the music played and I walked forward to take the bowl of bread, I had no nerves to speak of. I've done this before. I got this, I thought. The prospect of making a mistake wasn't even in the back of my mind. But, as you might have already guessed, things didn't go quite as smoothly as I had predicted. You see, at my church in New Jersey, we don't hand each person a piece of bread. Rather, each person takes his or her piece from the bowl as we offer it. And though I knew that things here are different, it was like my body was used to its habits, and it just wouldn't get on the same page as my mind. So there we were, me and the first person in line, if you're here, you know who you are. (laughs) And we were just kind of just looking at each other awkwardly waiting for each one to make the first move. (laughs) It took a few people and a little bit of gentle instruction from Pastor Nathan for me to get things ironed out. Not exactly a big deal, right? But as I drove back to my parents' home in New York later on, the mistake began to nest in my heart, and the evil one began to use it to make me feel isolated and alone. I can't fit in at Stanwich. I can't do things like they do, I thought. And yet, I'm not with those people in New Jersey anymore either. Who am I? What team am I on? We're always looking for a people to belong to, a team to play for that helps us to figure out who we are. And where there's one team, there's usually another team dead set on defeating its rival. When I look at our scripture text for today, I see two rival teams in the form of two lists, one of good works and the other of sins. The good works are about as good as good can be, reaching their height at the end of verse 2 to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Yikes! (laughs) Perfect is about all I need to read in order to close this Bible and just head for the exit right now. The sins similarly reach their height at the final phrase of verse 3, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Double yikes. It was one set of envy. Envy is the only sin I can think of that is really no fun at all. And as far as hatred, when was the last time someone told you they hated you? When was the last time you actually admitted to hating someone else? It's the kind of thing that children say to parents and then moments later burst into tears crying, I didn't mean it, over and over in between sobs. If we've ever felt hatred, we're desperate to either deny it or to shed it immediately and pretend it was never with us. 
So which team are you on? What about Paul, who wrote this letter? It's not such an easy question to answer. At first, Paul was a persecutor. But then Christ met him on the road to Damascus, and as he preached the gospel, he became a persecuted one. Paul's life spanned the full spectrum of the two lists given us here in Titus. He played for both the hated and hating team and the perfect courtesy team. And so he used a small but very important phrase here in verse 3. We ourselves. We too. It's like he was telling us, We're all on the same team. If I don't start with we, how can I be oriented towards the good works that God is calling me here in Titus? Submissive to rulers and authorities, obedient, ready for every good work, speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy toward all people. What do all of these have in common? As I was meditating on this list during one of my Sunday drives up here to Stanwich, it occurred to me just how different this list is from the work that it is to drive to church. As I drive to church, I hope that I can get here quickly, which means that I hope that there aren't too many other people on the roads getting in my way keeping me from accomplishing my work. But here in Paul's list, it's clear that people don't get in the way of our work. People are the work. All people, including those who might not serve communion like we do, those who have never served communion, and those who have never even taken communion or even stepped inside a church. But how is it that we can think of all these different people as one we? What is it that draws us all together, calling us out of both team perfect courtesy and team hated and hating to work with and for one another in a way that benefits us all? What is the name of the team that has room for each one of us? Perhaps it could be called the goodness of God team, because we're all creations of a good God. Whatever perfect courtesies we might have accomplished are gifts that come out of God's goodness. And if we're in a state of hated and hating, God's not done with us yet. So what does it take, what does it look like to be God's we? How does being on team goodness of God affect how we live with one another? How does it drive our good works towards one another? Still standing in Israel at the city of Chorazin, one of the cities that Jesus visited, is an old synagogue, and leading up to the synagogue is a series of steps so steep and uneven that you simply must climb them slowly, carefully, hesitantly. As I looked at our steps 
in the church this morning, I actually noticed that they resemble those steps in a way. There's some unevenness, and it's hard to run up here, right? It's hard to go speedily like I do on my drives to Sandwich every Sunday. Walking in this slow, careful, hesitant way reminds us that this space is not ours for the taking, to do whatever we please with, but that it belongs to the Lord. Every space in heaven and on earth belongs to the Lord, but as we walk his earth, encountering his creatures along the way, are we aware that we are on holy ground? As you step into her orbit, do you take time to simply behold rather than quickly asserting control? As I place a new chair at my table for him, do I shift my own chair over a bit? Do you give weight to his thoughts, feelings, and decisions? Do I respond to her needs so that she can continue to offer her beauty? And what about their mistakes? What do we do with those? It's hard to know how to deal with sin when we're not seeing one another as God's we. People on the perfect courtesy team say, it's simple. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and be good. If you aren't, it's because you just don't want to be. So you deserve what you get. Those on the hated and hating team celebrate mistakes. Let's dwell on their mistakes as much as possible, they say, so that those people will look worse than we do. And then we won't have to feel so bad about our own sins. But what about team goodness of God? Let's look at the sins listed in verse 3. Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Sin is complex and collective. Sometimes we actively rebel. Sometimes we cause others to sin. Sometimes we just don't know enough to do better. Sometimes we get caught in cycles. Have you ever heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people? When we disengage from our rival teams and we come face to face with one another as a we, we see that we're all sinners, sometimes even directly responsible for one another's sins. And knowing that we're God's we helps us to entrust one another's sins to God as our common judge. But more than that, being God's we means that we're able to respond to one another's sins by pouring out his goodness, his loving kindness, grace, and mercy into one another's lives. And that hinges on us first being able to experience God's goodness in our own lives. How have you experienced God's goodness? 
This summer, while up in the Adirondacks, I decided to swim from one end of our lake to the other and back, knowing but not really knowing if I could make it. In the midst of those vast, deep, mysterious, possibly dangerous waters, in moments that I found myself laboring a little bit to breathe, my eyes couldn't help but look up at the mountains in front of me and recall Psalm 21.1. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. As I swam and swam and swam, it was like those mountains were watching over me. And there in the midst of those overwhelming waters, I have never been more aware of God's care for me, his goodness and loving kindness to place me in the midst of such beauty, little me who had done nothing to create it, and yet was given the gift of enjoying it. God is always pouring out his goodness, loving kindness, grace, and mercy into our lives, but doesn't it seem like it's when we journey away from our places and our teams, away from power and control to disorientation and humiliation, that God's goodness coming as a surprise, a surprise as large as a mountain in the midst of a sea or as small as a candlelight in a dark moment of need can be truly experienced and received. Behold Jesus in the garden, alone, pressed down by the thought of the pain to come, tempted to flee God's call to the cross. Luke 22, verse 43 reads, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Days later, alone again, it wasn't just the thought of pain pressing down, but it was actual pain. Crushed under the weight of his own body, but more the sin of all the world, of all time, from ignorant mistakes to willful rebellion. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made Jesus to be sin. I looked for an image to convey this, but I didn't find much. And I think that's because the thought is truly beyond us. But the thought of what took place afterwards is even further beyond us. When Jesus matched our sin with his death, everything was wrapped up in a tiny, neat little package, an eye for an eye. But the story didn't end tidily. It ended the only way it could end, when a good, loving, kind, gracious, merciful God is in control. It ended with his goodness, his love, his kindness, his grace, his mercy. During World War II, Corey Ten Boom was imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp for protecting Jews. 
After enduring hellish conditions there, along with the death of her sister, she was freed from the camp and began to travel the world preaching sermons on forgiveness. One day after she had finished preaching, a man approached her who she recognized immediately as one of the most cruel overseers at the camp. Though he didn't recognize her, he reached out his hand to her. How nice it was to hear that God casts all our sins into the depths of the sea and remembers them no more. You mentioned Ravensbrück Camp in your speech, and I was a warden there. But since then, I have become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me for all the cruelties that I have committed. And yet, I would like to hear a word of forgiveness from you. Can you forgive me? At that moment, as her sister's death resurfaced in her memory, despite all the sermons that she had preached on forgiveness, all Corey could do was tentatively reach out her hand and pray, Jesus, help me. And the words came out, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. Corey later wrote, I have never felt God's love so keenly as I did in that moment. But even then, I understood that it was not my love, but God's. I tried to love, but I just didn't have the strength. But here, the power of the Holy Spirit was at work. What a story of two people seemingly on opposite teams, both receiving God's goodness into their lives and coming together as God's we, holding one another's hands and hearts. As I consider this story, though, I wonder at the guard's response, at his request. He had received God's mercy, and yet he went out to ask for mercy from Corey. Was God's forgiveness not enough? As I look out at our world so full of mechanical smiles and cordial greetings, I sense that we're all just running the rat race, striving to love ourselves and others in our own strength, but that it's all just a Band-Aid on a bullet hole just enough to cover up deep-seated wounds that we don't even know are there until they come bubbling up to the surface as we're driving back to New York one Sunday after a botched communion. We feel like we're stuck on the hated and hating team, and so we just can't seem to receive God's goodness into our lives. Maybe you're wondering what happened after that Sunday service a few weeks ago. On Tuesday, I warily drove back up here, and I confessed my dark moment to two of your wonderful pastors, Heather and Gina. Not just my silly little communion mistake, but that feeling 
of being stuck on the hated and hating team. Full of God's goodness, loving kindness, mercy, and grace, they both extended their hands and their hearts to me, reminding me that I was still a beloved member of the team. Not their team, but God's team. God's we. And it's not only us on that team, but it's all of you. (laughs) And we all need each other. As you go from this place today, may you be God's we. May you know the joy of truly receiving God's goodness, loving kindness, mercy, and grace into your lives. And may you know that there is an even greater joy that comes from extending that goodness, loving kindness, mercy, and grace into the lives of those who desperately hunger for it. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.